0: Of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Kelly. I'm Dermot. How is this fine summer day treating you, Dermot? Very well. Okay.
1: I've only been slightly tortured by cats.
0: Leopold Bloom describes them as vindictive.
1: Yes, they are. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cats only care about cats. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope that none of them make an appearance in this episode. Mm. Before we get into our material today, I do want to give a quick content warning. If you are listening to this with young children, and please don't make your young children listen to a podcast about Ulysses, no matter how precocious you may think they are. There is some sexual content in the passage that we're reading today, and we will use words appropriate to describe it. Now, we I think we did discuss some body parts in the last one, but this We will actually mention the existence of sex, Hmm. as Ira Glass always says. So you've been warned. All right. Before we begin the main part of our show today, we're going to have Dermot talk a little bit about the artwork he's done for this show, because Dermot is our artist. If you're new to the show, that's right. We're a purely audio podcast, but we do have a visual component. If you'd like to see Dermot's artwork that accompanies this podcast, as well as its companion blog post. You can see all of those at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's blooms, A-N-D, barnacles.com. I feel super professional right now. <laughs> um, anyway, Dermot has done some artwork, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, this was uh, inspired by the Red Egyptians passage, and we were on a, like an veronic motif for this one. And it's Joyce reading the Cantic Canting Academy book in the, in the the window of Green's bookshop. I think a lot of Dubliners will recognize the distinctive color. Mm-hmm. And very sadly, this bookshop closed down a few years ago. Um, during the high-rent period, they uh, couldn't afford the high-rents and they moved to an industrial park. So one of the most historic bookshops in the city vanished. So it's one of those things we try to hold on to, like Sweeney's or... Bewleys, and sometimes by fingertips And not all of them make it But anyway that's that bookshop it's a, It was a real place mm-hmm. And um, I think I read somewhere That uh, Joyce was shopping in there When uh, Nora walked past And uh, he, that's when he saw her for the first time And then he went racing after her Now that might be a pretty story or not I don't <laughs> know Take with all these stories With grains of salt I guess But yeah so a lot of history behind it. And I think the last time we were there It was like under construction For some other business God only knows what
0: I think there were pictures of Oscar Wilde in the window.
1: Something literary would be nice if we went in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And if you want to know what the Canting Academy is, well, you just keep listening. Yes. In the in the image, there is a sort of ancient Egyptian stealing James Joyce's wallet.
1: Mm-hmm. Racism.
0: <laughs> yeah. I this is this is I've I think of all the images we put out, this one I've I've worried about the most. <laughs> But I think because he's sort of a, a cartoon Egyptian. Yeah. I don't know if it's... I don't know. Anyway, it's up there, and if you, if you don't like it, uh, you can tell us that, too. Tell Twitter.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or if you do like it, you can tell us that, too. Yeah. The Egyptian puts me in mind of the new blog post that I'm working on. Man, I have been reflecting on this. I used to do, like... Two to four blog posts a month, and I think I have put out one per month for like the last six months because we've taken on some really, really heavy topics since the beginning of the year. I thought once we finished Proteus on the blog that we (laughs) would just have these easy articles to write, but they have never been more complex. So we've done topics on metempsychosis and Zionism Mm -hmm. and all kinds of fun stuff.
1: About two weeks ago Kelly came into my room and said, Do you have a book Orientalist by Edward Side? And I said, Why yes I do and I just reached up to the bookshelf mm-hmm. and handed it over. So she's yep. have a little like library in here of stuff that's like really weird because I have a lot of books I didn't buy to be referenced for you. Uh, <laughs> but a surprising number of wow. them turn out to be you no know, like they have a separate project I've been working on and mm-hmm. uh I had to research that for my own thing and then a lot yeah. of it it's amazing how much overlap there's been.
0: So our next blog post is um, is about. I even did one I thought would be fun about Bloom's potato, and it it took me ages to research and write. So our next blog <laughs> blog post that should be out in the next week or two is called, um, or it's I haven't settled on a title, but it's going to be about Orientalism and Calypso and Lotus Eaters. So be on the lookout for that. And so I'm I'm really considering this very. Um, stereotypical and other depiction of an Egyptian man that you've chosen to mm-hmm. include to represent the dispossessed Romani people mm-hmm. as they are depicted unfavorably in this episode. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start hashtagging you, maybe. All right. Don't stick Twitter on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that post should be good, and um, it, it it's a serious topic, but it it, it should... Have our our usual. Uh, I I, th- I hope we make things fun. <laughs> yes. And then after that, I'm going to do something really easy, like plum trees potted meat or something like that.
1: Mm, recipes. recipe.
0: Yeah. And not the recipe. No, <laughs> I'm not making you potted meat.
1: So just a quick reminder too. We have a tip jar on blog, and we always always appreciate donations. So they go. Uh, we stretch them. They go a long way. So if you do want to throw us some uh, dinari or. Whatever Orientalist currency is mm-hmm. currently in your domain, then that's all I'm always appreciated. We
0: we accept all currencies as it is through PayPal. Yeah, um, and we do appreciate uh, anyone who's able to donate, and we totally understand if you can't. The show no will no always remain free, but the donations really help me uh, do things like upgrade our website, which is also yes. on the horizon. So enough about us. What about Stephen Dedalus?
1: That guy?
0: Yeah. Hmm. We, let's move into our passage. So we're still in Proteus. We're on page forty seven in my edition, which is the nineteen ninety Vintage International Edition, if you're reading along at home. And Dermot is going to read the passage today, which I feel is a passage that has befuddled many a Ulysses fan. So let's let's Dermot's gonna read it and then let us know what he thinks it means. Go for it
1: shouldering their bags they trudged the red egyptians his blued feet out of turned up trousers slapped the clammy sand a dull brick muffler strangling his unshaven neck with woman's step she followed the ruffian and his strolling mort spoils slung at her back loose sand and shell grit crusted her bare feet about her windrow face hair trailed behind her lord his helpmate Bing to a when night hides her body's flaws, calling under her brown shawl from an archway where dogs have mired. Her fancy man is treating two royal Dublins in the Lachlans of pits. Busser, wappen rogues, rum lingo, for all oh, my dimber dal, as she fiends whiteness under her rancid rags. Fumblee's lane that night the tanyard smells. White thy fambles, red thy gan, and thy quarrens dainty is. Couch a hogshead with me then, in the darkman's clip and kiss. Moreau's delectation, Aquinas Tunbelly calls this Frate Porcus Pino, on Fallen Adam Road and not rutted. Call away, let him, thy quarren's dainty is. Language no whit worse than his. Monk words, merry beads jabber on their girdles. Rogue words, tough nuggets patter in their pockets. Passing now.
0: All right. A plus reading. Very, very nice. But we're, we're not just about pretty sounds. Dermot, uh-huh. what's no, it? What's it about? Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, if
0: if you don't know what it means, that's fine. But well, I, are, I, I, are there I, things you do recognize?
1: Okay. Um, well, shouldering their bags they trudged. Is, are we still on the Sandy Mount Strand with the cockle pickers? Yes. Is this is where we're at.
0: Do you rem- Well, before we, we go ahead with this, do you remember what happened in the last paragraph?
1: No, you have to remind me again.
0: Uh, Harun al-Rashid. Mm. So it was just Stephen's recollection of his dream and then before that mm-hmm. he was watching tatters and it ends with a, a part a panther. Right. So his head, his, is, his head is his head yeah. is still
1: sort of coming out of a thousand and one nights a little bit.
0: Yeah, but he's also just sitting on his his mole of boulders with his ash plant and a grike. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a sentence. Watching these two cockle pickers and their dog on the beach. Yes. Yeah, he's at Sandy Mount.
1: So the the ruffian and his strolling mort. Uh what oh, a mort is. spoils slung at her back. These are like the, yeah. all the stuff they had picked off the beach.
0: Mort is my favorite Terry Pratchett novel. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Let's see. So <laughs> it could be in a literary allusion to Terry Pratchett.
1: His helpmate. Is that the dog? Is that Tatters being a was to Romeville? God I don't what that is when night hides her body's flaws i guess when it's dark and you know he's starting to see maybe she's a bit wrinkly calling out of her brown shawl from an archway her fancy man is treating to royal dublin so i'm guessing that's the fella is like buying drinks for for two soldiers or something or royal dublin something dublin fusiliers or something like that um and that's his local pub all auckland's of black pits i'm guessing bus her wrapper in rugs rum lingo Rogue's rum lingo sounds like uh like a slang. Like it sounds a,
0: like a pogue's album that never got recorded. Yeah,
1: it'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh my dimbrough whopping doll, not a clue. As she fiends whiteness under her rancid rags. So I guessing when her rags are off or she's all pale and on like most Irish people would be back then anyway. Fumbley's Lane that night, the tanyard smells. A tan yard, I'm guessing, is a yard where they tan, uh, where they're tanning, maybe tanning leather perhaps, and it will be stinky yeah, and be bloody and h- horrible. Yeah. Alan Moore used to work in the tanners and he said it was a disgusting job. Um, white, they found, and there's a little rhyme there, I'm no idea what that's all about. Moreau's delectation. Aquinas Tunbeli would be Thomas Aquinas, of course. Tunbeli, well, t- Aquinas was called the ox, he was a big fella. So I'm guessing. Uh, uh, he was, uh, you know, this is a little joke about Aquinas' physical size. Frate Porcospino, brother Porcospino. And the first time I read that, I thought it's, uh, I, I read it as uh, brother piggy. And then, and then you reminded me Porcospino is the, uh, actually a por- porcupine. A porcupine in On so fallen Adam rode and not rooted. So before Adam fell, he didn't have sex because he was clean and, and prelapsarian. Call away, let him like Quarren's dainty is da, 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 da. monk words is another call out to like a, maybe scholasticism or twelfth century, thirteenth century, like theolo- theology it's or something. Been
0: a little while since we heard from Saint fiacre,
1: Yes, Mary beads. I'm guessing her rosary beads, jabber on their girdles. You know that's when uh, for those who aren't familiar with the with the uh, the rosary, it's like it's people do it's like a speed read of it. One of our teachers used to do their Angelus at the twelve o'clock um they in our our christian brother school and he would get through it in about 30 seconds I I... <laughs> and it was it was just mm. like a mantra it was it wasn't mm. even words anymore rogue words tough nuggets patter in their pockets passing yeah i mean i'm i'm picking at little fragments but as regards to putting like a narrative thread through that yeah if you could explain again,
0: the whole thing as a, as a whole
1: it's just a tumble of of ideas and i i'm i'm not i'm not pulling out Like much out of that, other than like one thoughts blending into another and into another. Like it's a continuum of ideas. I'd
0: say you're having a very authentic first reading of Proteus. Yes, I think how a lot of people feel. And I mean, we've been reading this slowly, week by week, not and sometimes once a month, Mm -hmm. over the course of I, I can't remember when we did the first Proteus episode, but it's been at least a year, I think. So we, we have the, the luxury of spacing us out a bit, but if you're just reading Proteus straight through, this is fairly late in the episode, and I think a lot of Proteus fatigue <laughs> sets in yeah. because, as you are aware, Dermot, and our listeners are probably aware too, this is a very challenging bit of prose, and it's it doesn't give up its secrets easily. I, I find personally, when when I have read this in the past, I hit this point, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm reading Mm -hmm. so my goal today is for you and any of our curious listeners that by the end of this they you guys won't feel that way anymore Mm. the only thing that made me feel that way is doing tons of research and reading um 17th century dictionaries of thieves lingo (laughs) so uh which I recommend all right so shall we dive into this all right Shouldering their bags, they trudged, the Red Egyptians. The phrase that really stands out here and needs some explanation, I think, is Red Egyptians. Some of this passage is written in the, I guess, the, the the parlance of its time. So Red Egyptians is probably not a favored term anymore. But let's let's talk about what this means. And to do that, we're going to have to use some more unfavored terms. Do you remember the art of Proteus Dermot? Uh, oof. Uh...
1: It's something to do with shape-shifting and uh,
0: philology. Philology, yeah. So this is definitely going to be a podcast about words more so than it usually is. So uh, if you look in your favorite annotation guide or explication of Ulysses, you will see Red Egyptian sort of translated as gypsies. So he is still watching the cockle pickers, as we already described, and he sees them as gypsies or red Egyptians, as he put it. So uh, the term gypsy is often used to refer to the Romany people, uh, mainly of Eastern Europe. Now, the term gypsy is considered an ethnic slur. Um, We will use it a bit in this episode, but my personal goal is to phase it out. But we need to use it a little here just to make sure that people understand what we're talking about. So this the, the ter- this term comes from a mistaken belief that the Romani originated in Egypt uh, before arriving in Europe. So you see the same GYP comes from the middle of Egypt. Hmm. So that's, and that's also why they're called Red Egyptians. When I was co- consulting sources from the 17th and 18th centuries, we go way back on some of these, uh, while I was researching this episode... I saw the Romani referred to often as Egyptians and in one instance as counterfeit Egyptians. Mm. So there was, I don't, that I don't think exists anymore, but there was a very strongly held belief that they did migrate from Egypt. The Romani, however, most likely originated in Northern India before migrating through Central Asia to Eastern Europe. This theory was originally based on linguistic analysis because they do have their own language and it was more similar to languages of northern India than any of the languages of Egypt and this was later confirmed by DNA. So the Romani are actually from India but from a very very long time ago. If you want to know more about their history there's a really great episode of the Stuff You Should Know podcast. I think it's just called How Gypsies Work. It's really, really good. So I would recommend listening to that because the Romani are only going to be right in the beginning of our episode here. So, however, I looked into it and while there were Romani living in Ireland in the early 20th century, I think it's maybe more likely that Stephen might have count, encountered a group called Irish Travelers or simply Travelers. They go by many names. I'm going to call them travelers. Uh, They are sometimes known as Irish gypsies. And they are basically a a separate group of people that live in Ireland, separate to the mainstream or settled Irish. But they are not related in any way to the Romani. But they do share a similar kind of mobile lifestyle. Very similar lifestyle. Yeah. The two groups, they do get compared a lot, but... Again, unlike the Romani, they are indigenous to Ireland. And there are travel gr- traveler groups with a capital T throughout uh, Britain and Ireland, as well as other parts of Europe, too. Some in America as well.
2: Mm. Mm. Okay. I, hadn't,
1: I didn't know about it until recently. Like, wow, I did not know
0: nice. that either. So there's a bit of a mystery to the travelers. It's not really clear where they or, excuse me, when they originated, but they are officially recognized as a distinct ethnic group in Ireland. They are a a tiny minority there, and they live almost totally outside of the mainstream population. They have their own, they're very, very Catholic, they have their own sort of own sets of traditions, and are very insular and sort of suspicious of the settled community, and the settled community likewise is quite suspicious of them. Uh, As a result, in modern Ireland, travelers are far more likely to be unemployed or lack formal education than the average mainstream person. I'd say the Romani as well are one of the most persecuted groups in Europe, and I think travelers experience a lot of hostility as well. There's a lot of association with them and theft and violent crime. There's a lot more we could say about them. There are... I I linked tons of articles in the further reading section of the episode notes that you can find either in your podcatcher app or on our website in the show notes if you'd like to read more and read firsthand experiences. But I just want to give a little bit of background here. We're not going to talk much more about travelers or Romani from this point on because we're going to see that there's really no textual evidence in Ulysses that the cockle pickers are actually Romani travelers or anything like that. As far as we know, they're just two people and a Mm. dog picking cockles on the beach. But Stephen's imagination, as well as I think Stephen's own biases, kind of transform them into whatever he wants them to be, which is quite Mm. protean. On the subject of
1: of words changing, and my personal connection to this, my name is O'Connor, but my grandfather's surname was Connors. And when he married my grandmother, she was a ferocious snob. And she didn't like the surname Connors because she thought it was a traveler name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she said, I'll only marry you on the condition that you change your name to O'Connor. And because O'Connor sounds more aristocratic. Mm-hmm. And to this maybe
0: you're descended from a high king at some point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ha, ha. And to this <laughs> day in our in our town or until very recently, there are a certain generation of people, if they wanted to insult my dad or one of my uncles, they just call him, hey, Connors. And uh-huh. it was their way of saying, oh, you know, We know who you really are. Not that there's no evidence that my family from that side of the family were travelers, but that was the snob factor of, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody wanted to even be remotely associated with the possibility. There's a lot of stigma attached.
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is a lot of background out of the way. So let's look at this next bit here. His blued feet out of turned up trousers slapped the clammy sand, a dull brick muffler strangling his unshaven neck With woman steps, she followed the ruffian and his strolling mort. Spoils slung at her back. Loose sand and shell grit crusted her bare feet. About her wind-raw face, her hair trailed. This is kind of a judgmental description on Stephen's part. When I was looking this over this week, that was kind of what jumped out to me.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I think Stephen looks pretty shabby in his own right. But he's frequently very insecure, I think, about how he appears in the eyes of those of a higher social class. Do you remember earlier in Proteus where he lied to the other boys at Clongo's that his uh, he was related to, like, a, I think it was a judge and maybe an admiral or someone impressive mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. When really his uncle is Richie Goulding? Yes. The drunken little costrar? Yeah.
1: There's a famous comedy sketch from the late 60s, early 70s with uh, John Cleese and the two Ronnies. And it's upper middle, upper class, middle class and working class. Mm-hmm. I am upper class. I look down on them. And then the middle class guy with the bowler hat. I'm middle class. I look up at him, but I look down at him. And then little Ronnie is on the far side and he goes, I know my place.
0: <laughs> but I think that as as Dermot would would be fond of pointing out that social stratification is more nuanced than that mm-hmm. and that especially if you're feeling further down those rungs but you you always want to have someone below you yes so you're not all the way at the bottom
1: exactly i must be able to punch down at somebody
0: mm-hmm. i th- i think that I, I i mean these these guys might look pretty rough on the beach let's be real steven is in borrowed clothing and hasn't bathed in god knows how long mm-hmm. So he might be looking fairly shabby himself, but there's someone worse off than him. All right, Mort. So this word jumped out to you when mm-hmm. you were doing your initial reading. Sorry, any Discworld fans out there it is not a an allusion to Terry Pratchett's fantasy series as it is separated by. Decades of time. Although, if Stephen is reaching into the Akashic record, mm-hmm. like, and he, maybe he can see forward in time and learn about the future, <laughs> the future, yes, and long-running fantasy series. Let's get into philology or language studies. All right, so as we mentioned, a distinguishing feature, I don't think we did mention this, a distinguishing feature for both the, the Romani and the Travelers is language. Romani, as we mentioned, do speak their own language. Travelers also speak their own language. It's called Shelta by linguists and people who study language, but it's called Kant or Gammon by travelers themselves. There again, there are a variety of terms for it, so if I haven't mentioned your preferred term, I, it, it exists also. Uh, but I really do want to focus on Kant, because the name Kant in particular is of interest to us, because Stephen starts throwing out some strange slang or lingo in this section and it's all taken from a 17th century book called The Canting Academy which revealed the secret code language of thieves in England. And this kind of brings us back to our Red Egyptians. So in many older sources, and we've kind of talked about the stigma or uh, against Romani or travelers, in, in these various groups. But in many older sources, the Romani and thieves are spoken of interchangeably and there's very little distinction made between the groups. So if you're calling someone a, a gypsy or an Egyptian, you are also calling them a thief hmm. by, by nature. So that that there's a very, very strong stigma attached to this group of people. And as a Irish travelers are also referred to as Irish gypsies, the same You're a thief, then yeah. in the eyes of the Yeah. So Pretty much from here on out, we're going to be talking about actual thieves. And so. I just want you to see where kind of one very um, stereotypical description of these people slides into another. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that they're anything but cockle pickers. But this is this is where Stephen's mind is. The thieves can't, which is separate from the language spoken by travelers, is... Was used exclusively to discuss criminal activities, whereas the Shelta, or Romani language, both have well-developed vocabulary for everyday topics. So they're not specifically thieves jargon. They're full-fledged languages. You can even learn the Our Father in, in Shelta. Uh, so I, I think there's a... I'll, I'll make sure that link makes it into the episode mm-hmm. notes if you're curious to see them side by side. And the thieves cant that is used here is really not similar at all to either language. Yeah. So again, one reason the word gypsy is now considered an ethnic slur is because it has so long been synonymous with criminal. Mm -hmm. So uh, Romani, traveler or criminal, whatever you want to call them, they all become kind of indistinct Mm -hmm. and just mean those people and over And we there. just
2: found
1: out like a few years ago the etymology of gypt, that it was from Egyptian or mm-hmm. uh, gypsy. Yeah. And a lot of us would have used that word innocently, not knowing the uh, mm. racist etymology of it. Yes. And now that you do, you kind of have to stop using it. Yeah, it's, hmm.
0: it's definitely a word I've stopped using.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Back to Stephen. Mm-hmm. Stephen, he is a young artist with a keen memory for the thieves' cant found in this book by a man named Richard Head. Again, it's from the 1600s, and back in those days, I guess they did not feel that brevity was the soul of wit, because though I've (laughs) referred to this book as the Canting Academy, the full title is... The
3: Canting Academy, or the Devil's Cabinet Opened Wherein Shown the Mysterious and Villainous Practices of that Wicked Crew commonly known by the names of Hector's, Trepanel's, Gilt's, etc., to which is added a complete canting dictionary, both of old words, and such as are now most in use, with several new catches and songs composed by the choicest wits
0: of the age. That's the complete That's title. the
1: actual title of the book. You die of old age, or are <laughs> that in the shop.
0: Uh, in Dermot's image, he puts the whole title on the, the <laughs> book. So the and book
1: I... is like six feet tall, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, this is one of several books from the time period that were dedicated to revealing the secrets of the criminal underworld in England. Apparently, it was a hot topic back then. Uh, however, I would recommend reading a bit of this. It's delightfully readable, and it is, avail- it is available in its entirety online. And it's just, I, I, it just, it just breathlessly describes all these these terrible criminal elements that existed. As an example. The first bit of Thieves' Cant that we come across in Ulysses is Mort. So Mort does come from this Richard Head book, uh, and it basically means a woman. Uh, More specifically, Stephen describes or imagines Lady Cocklepicker to be a strolling Mort, whom Head described as...
3: Strolling morts are such as pretend to be widows, traveling about from county to county, making laces upon eaves as beggars' tape or the like. And they are subtle queens, hard-hearted, light-singered, hypocritical and dissembling, and very dangerous to meet, if any ruffler or rogue be in their company.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, they're, um... They're, uh... Yeah, strolling morts, they they travel around pretending to be widows and I'm guessing grifting people out of money, mm. maybe as beggars or other things, mm. and they might be accompanied by a ruffler or a rogue, mm. you know, who's who's in on the scheme. Mm. So be suspicious of any, any new widows uh, that you might meet.
1: And we tried to figure out this making laces upon Aves, and we think there might be like an error in the OCR reading, like the digital reading of the text, because the the first letter of Aves is like a little blob. I'm like, what is that? Uh, But beggars tape was like a ribbon that the beggars would wear from their hats to make them look like bedlamites apparently. What's and a bedlamite? Like somebody from a mental hospital, mm-hmm. so they look like a crazy person. So beggar's tape was just this, like, coloured ribbon that these beggars would wear. Like,
0: what the hell was
1: that about? It's just a thing that people used to mm-hmm. do, I guess. Yeah.
0: I think the the rest of that passage we don't need to go too deep into. Let's, uh, move on to the next part, because there's a lot of stuff happening here. Behind her lord, his helpmate, was to Romeville. So behind her lord is, is uh, Mr. Lord Cocklepicker, mm-hmm. and she is the helpmate. If you ever if you ever listen to very Christian people talk, they'll talk about the wife is meant to be the helpmate of the husband. Okay, which means they're supposed to be kind of servile and mm-hmm. subordinate. I actually hate the term helpmate <laughs> because I think of growing up in a, a much more Christian area of the world than I live in now. You hear that a lot, and it's yeah. So anyway, she's kind of his his subordinate there. Mm-hmm. Uh, bing a was to Romeville. This comes direct directly from a canting song which was recorded by Head in his book The Canting Academy and it's entitled The Rogue's Delight in Praise of His Strolling Mort. It, this phrase roughly means let's go to London. So bing a is the let's go part and then London is Romeville. So I thought maybe it's Romeville because London was founded by the Romans, right? Mm -hmm. It was Londinium before it was London. So that that was my thought. And also, like, London as the center of the British Empire and Rome as the center of the Roman Empire. Right. You know, there's an obvious analogy there. So I thought that, too. Uh, The very famous annotation for Ulysses by Gifford and Seidman records Rome as meaning first-rate it's possibly comes from rum, which in thieves can't also means like the best or first-rate. So the, here, their idea is that London is a first-rate city. So let's go there. Let's go to this first-rate city, London. And uh, hmm. pose pose's widows, I guess.
2: Put ribbons
1: in our hats. Mm-hmm.
0: When night hides her body's flaws, calling under her brown shawl from an archway where dogs have mired, her fancy man is treating two Royal Dublins and a Lachlans of Black Pits. Okay, definition time. A fancy man, according to Gifford and Seidman, is a man who is fancied as a sweetheart or a man who lives on the income of a prostitute. This is probably the second one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they even included the first one. The Royal Dublins are soldiers, as you guess from the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. And Ola- o- how do you say that name? I say O'Loughlin. O'Loughlin, like okay. a CK. Okay. O'Loughlin's of Black Pits was an unlicensed pub, also known as a Shabine, in the Liberties. Remember, we talked about the Liberties mm-hmm. very early on. What are what was the Liberties? Part of Dublin is... that
1: would be, um, let's say, working class. Mm-hmm. Um, people from the, the Liberties would be, like, basically salt of the earth Dubliners, if you want mm-hmm. to see, like, the authentic Dublin accent. Yeah, uh, from that part of the city. Where, where so in now. Dublin is it? Uh, on the south side, um, near the city center, or centered on Meath Street, uh, part of Thomas Street. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah.
0: In 1904, it wasn't a very nice part of the city. I would imagine it was pretty rough. Yeah, now yeah. you can buy a condo there for I'm
1: sure. You can, and I'm sure you can an
0: exorbitant amount of money. Got to
1: but... tap us wherever you like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Let's see here. So basically, Stephen is looking at lady cockle picker and he's imagining her to be cockle picker by day but prostitute by night sort of skulking in in dark doorways right under her brown shawl when the night hides her body's flaws so she might not look too good in the midday sun on sandy mount strand but at night you, you can't you know you can't tell uh while her quote fancy man who's definitely this the man who lives on the income of a prostitute I think that would be a pimp yeah. takes a couple of soldiers to an unlicensed pub in the shady part of Dublin. Mm-hmm. So, he's yeah, he's sort of imagining these two people, you know, living this this very like outlaw type skid row lifestyle. They're kind of grifters. Our friend Richard Head describes this style of arrangement in his book, and you will find it under a section titled titled the Bod, Pimp, and Whore.
3: The whore is the main support of the house. The first will not swagger unless he be paid. The next won't procure unless he may sponge and have his lechery for nothing. And the whore will not ply unless she hath half share of her own gettings beside a little sneaking by the by.
0: All right.
1: The brandy's kicking in now. And the port wine. My... Cheeks are getting all flushed. And I thought, I thought yeah. that was coffee you were drinking. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I think that Stephen is kind of letting his imagination run wild here. And he's really imagining this, this sort of underworld life for these <laughs> two people on the beach. Who's picking cockles for God's sake? Yeah, they're a bit rough. I imagine yeah. they're definitely from a lower-class background, like if you're picking cockles on the beach, they're, you know, they're barefoot and they're a bit rough with their dog tatters, Mm. so... But I don't know if that makes them a a bod pimp and whore. (laughs) (laughs) She's a bit harsh. And I think, too, it comes from... He assumes that they're, you know, red Egyptians, as he put it, and so then they must be totally wrapped up in this criminal underworld. Mm -hmm. Like, grifting... uh, the the Dublin Fusiliers and uh, taking them to sketchy pubs and she's working the streets and yeah, it's a, yeah, because he's assuming that that that's what the red Egyptians would do, Mm. but it's not very flattering in any case. It's it's definitely judgment. I think he's just having a good time, like imagining this lecherous, filthy lifestyle that these people supposedly lead. Yeah. All right. More can't. Bus her wap in rogues rum lingo for oh my dimber wapping dell. All right. So bus means to kiss. Wap, W-A-P, is sex, which I wonder if it's an onomatopoeia now that I say it out loud. Like fap? Fap is the, just disgusting. Just disgusting. I was about to say it's one of the worst things that's come out of the internet, and it's not even close to that, but it's a disgusting word. Yeah, but like that. Uh, rogues rum lingo could be the lingo that rogues use when they're on the rum or possibly it's just Stephen commending his 1st rate use of cant Uh, Gifford Seidman translate rum as noted rum lingo as noted talk Mm. Uh, oh my dimber wapping dell is another direct quote from the rogues delight that song that we referenced up above the translations of this I found interesting so uh, the, the one I have written down here in my notes says it's sometimes translated as a pretty loving wench and the, the the dell is explained at length by head in the, the canting academy as well so you have to look it up if you want to see it mm-hmm. but we already know what wapping really is it's not loving like it's it's loving but it's not just like you're sending someone a nice card with a heart on it yeah. it means sex yeah. and there's no way that the criminal underbelly of london was walking around in the 1600s going oh my pretty loving wench yeah my heart beats for thee yes. so i think a, a more accurate translation would be like a hot fucking wench <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you know it, it needs to be rougher and yeah. more obscene so yeah. i think that there are many very polite annotators out there that don't want to use the F word. Mm. But I can use it. So I think it's a hot fucking wench. Because mm. that's definitely what that word means. Loving is, is too yeah. anodyne. Yeah,
1: too uh, bourgeois.
0: Let's see here. A she fiends whiteness under her rancid rags. How, did you just say Fum, fumbalies
1: Fumbalies? I say fumbally. Fumblies. I don't know
0: what the correct oh, one is, though. I no I'll, I'll say it, then we'll have it both ways. Uh, Fumbally's lane that night. The Tan Yard Smells. So this is Stephen's imagination just running wild, and I think he is imagining her, what she looks like under the rancid rags. Uh, Mm. Stephen, I think, is very sex-starved. You remember the, the little anecdote about him... Weeping on the the Hoth tram, thinking about naked women. Yes, and also if he's imagining she's a prostitute, that makes him feel like her body is more available to anyone who right. wants it. Right. So he's, you know, moved on from imagining her as a a dimber wapping dell, and and is thinking just about the wapping. Oh. is Lane, located in the Liberties, Gifford and Seidman say that. Around the corner from Fumbally's Lane was Kelly Dunn and Company, which, who were a tanners, fellmongers, and wool merchant. Mm-hmm. And a tannery where leather is made uh, uses a lot of very um, harsh caustic chemicals, and as such, it just smells of high heaven. Mm-hmm. Ah, white thy fambles, red thy gan, and thy corns dainty is, couch a hogshead with me then in the darkman's clip and kiss. So this is a full stanza from The Rogue's Delight, so we can assume Stephen is pretty familiar with this because he's applying a lot of it and now Mm -hmm. quoting it directly. So Head offers his own translation into plain English from the 1600s, but I thought we might look at a translation into contemporary English. And so I would really recommend checking out a translation by Jerome Rothenberg. Uh, Again, sorry if I'm not saying your name right. Uh, which will be linked in full if you want to see the full Rogue's Delight and his translation. But as far as the white thy fambles, red thy gan, he translates this stanza as White thy hands, red thy mouth, and thy body dainty is. Lie down with me then in the night, embrace and kiss. And yeah, so it's about getting it on with your favorite strolling mort Mm
2: -hmm.
0: or bod pimp or rogue or... Yeah, it's 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 about people doing it. Okay. It's a it's a song about yeah. about doing it, which is what I think most songs are about. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're to Aquinas. Mm. Thank God, <laughs> Morose Delectation. Aquinas Tunbelly calls it or calls this Frate Porcospino. Do you, have you heard this term morose Delectation before? No, A.K. Delectatio Morosa.
2: Mm-mm. No.
0: So, uh. Morose delectation means not dismissing sinful thoughts when they creep into your mind. So you're thinking about sinful thoughts and you're enjoying it. So that could be imagining what a woman looks like with her filthy rags, filthy off. rags off, or imagining the you know, activities of a, a prostitute and a thi- you know, mm-hmm. a thief or these, these sort of underworld figures, or remembering this. Dirty poetry and obscured seventeenth century dialect. Yeah. <laughs> but knowing that it's it's not about lovely kissing, it's 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 actually about fucking. Mm. Rather than uh push that from his mind like a good Catholic boy should, he he sat and thought about it and even enjoyed it. Mm. Filthy, filthy. That puts a little dirty spot on your soul. <laughs>
1: Only <laughs> confession will
3: take it away. Mm-hmm. And even then.
0: Yeah. So Stephen, who is trying to fly by the nets of the church, as, as he put it and back in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, mm-hmm. uh, is still like never that far from that kind of kind of guilt. Like he's remembering this weird poem that he knows, and he's still like, oh, yeah, morose delectation. I'm not supposed to be thinking about this. Hag and bite of Inuit, dude. So Aquinas. Uh, who's Thomas Aquinas? Give us a back of the envelope description of Thomas Aquinas. Thomas
1: Aquinas is one of the uh, doctors of the Catholic Church, one mm-hmm. of the most important uh, figures in the mm-hmm. church, not just like a, a run-of-the-mill saint, like he's like one of the top mm-hmm. people. I really worked very really hard to incorporate a lot of uh, Aristotelian metaphysics uh, into, uh, into his theology, which was an attempt to unify natural philosophy with theology so that there would be one unified truth system. Thomism being the philosophy based on him mm. which is one of the cornerstones of the Catholic Church. So he's one of the big ones. Like I, I, you know, like for somebody like that to come along and have such an influence like 1300 years after the the big fireworks is very impressive.
0: Mm-hmm. So speaking of a big one, now let's body shame Aquinas Tunbelly. <laughs> he was a man of of ample girth to put it a certain way to um, employ some mm-hmm. linguistic yeah.
1: He used to be called the Ox. And apparently one day he was very silent in class as a student. And his, their teacher was Albertus Magnus, also one of these great like figures from history of philosophy. And the other students were making fun of Aquinas and Albertus just like had enough. And he said,
3: one day this ox will roar and shake the world.
1: And then mm-hmm. they all shut up.
0: So. Well, I learned also that he was apparently his girth was of such an amplitude that he apparently needed a special uh, concave table to accommodate it, mm. which at, at school, when I work one-on-one with students, we have one of those. Yeah, It's sort of it's shaped like a little macaroni noodle, and I have found myself thinking about a very obese monk sitting behind it <laughs> sometimes when I'm just sitting there watching. Kids do math problems. And the frate porcospino, as we noted, means brother porcupine. I, I find that the word for porcupine in various languages is, is always a great word. Mm-hmm. So just as if you want to go look some things up in the dictionary. I always imagine this was because maybe he was very large and also had like crazy hair that was all spiky and he looked like a porcupine. But uh, Gifford and Simon say it's because his argument was prickly and difficult to attack. Mm. So that's not as fun. <laughs> all right. So that's Aquinas. Unfallen Adam rode and not rutted. Call away, let him. Thy corn's dainty is. So, unfallen Adam. So, what this is kind of referring to is that prior to the fall. And what is the fall?
1: That's when that awful Eve woman uh, ate the apple from the snake and made everybody sinful and dirty.
0: Mm -hmm. And And then kicked out of the garden. garden. Yeah. Yeah. So before, prior to the fall, uh, sexual intercourse took place without lust.
1: Hmm. Did it now?
0: Do you have something to add to that? No,
1: no, no. I'm just
0: Dermot, as he said that, as he said, did it now? He crossed his arms and sat back in his chair <laughs> like he was not satisfied. So I just feel like I need to check in.
1: Well, I guess we have to take the the word of the Bible for that.
0: I don't know if that was in the Bible. Some of this is like stuff people came up with about I think the Bible. So, yeah. But it does really set us up to think about the tangle of words that the church with a capital C uses to condemn or justify certain acts. Mm -hmm. So, like, you say, oh, yeah, they had sexual intercourse, but there was no lust, so it was okay Mm -hmm. in this, you know, in in Eden, pre-lapsarian, I think you called it. Yes. So they had sex, but it wasn't dirty. Now it's dirty because we angered God, and Mm -hmm. now there's lust and there's sin. Because there was there was no sin, because that was the original sin, right? Mm. Was eating the apple. Yeah. So now now there's lots of sin, but so when they did it in the garden, there was just no lust. Mm. I don't know. I have a, I have a lot of questions about that, which I don't want to get too into. But I feel like s- sex without the the lust attached is like eating ice cream without flavor. Being able to taste it. Yeah. 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 You know that it's cold and it goes in your mouth and your, your belly feels full, but ice cream without the gluttony is just not as nice. That's, I mean, that's, that's why that's why we invented gelato. In a world of frozen yogurt, there's mm-hmm. still gelato. <laughs> uh, this ton belly scene also reminds me of a scene in A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, part of which tells about Stephen's time at Belvedere College, which is a fancy-schmancy mm-hmm. Jesuit college. There's a scene where Stephen is speaking to an English dean who refers to a certain item as a funnel, and Stephen is quite surprised because he has only ever known this as a, a tundish. Have you ever heard this term, tundish? No, no. Never. Yeah, neither have I outside of portrait. But for Stephen, it was sort of this moment of realization, of uh, thinking about himself, who really the deadlices can't afford to send him to Belvedere. Mm-hmm. But they let him in on a basically a scholarship after he left Klongos because they couldn't pay the fees. Right. But it was this moment of realization of both this cultural gulf between him and this English dean and also a class gulf, since this dean is quite wealthy. Right. Like we're speaking the same language, but are we really? And then it makes him think also about how the English language is something that's been imposed on the Irish by the English mm-hmm. and their, you know, their way of seeing the world, their culture, their language. And yes,
1: a grafted tongue uh, in John Montague's phrase mm-hmm. in his poem. Yeah.
0: And I, I wonder if this connection of this T-U-N, is Stephen also having sort of a, a similar epiphany as Aquinas and the, the rogues? kinda of clash in his mind. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about unfallen Adam here and you you know, you say, Oh, he he rode and rode and not rutted, you know, he he had sex, but he didn't have lust with the sex. So it wasn't dirty sex like you had you know, it's it's just sort of this verbal bargaining. That the language and culture of the church is also kind of something that's been grafted onto him mm-hmm. against his will. Mm. He he def- he mentions too to um to Haynes, that the Irish have two masters—one, one English and one Italian—by right. which he means the the Roman Church. Yep. Here, but I do see a, you know, this this idea of the oppression of language and culture that's kind of mixed into this pea soup of a section. All right, language no whit worse than his monk words. Mary beads jabber on their girdles. Rogue words. Tough nuggets patter in their pockets. Passing now. So Stephen is a poet, as we know. And therefore, all words are his comrades. Just as we are podcasters. And I guess words are, comra- are, words are comrades.
1: Well, mp3 files anyway. All right.
0: Uh, so he's thinking language no whit worse than his. So the language of Aquinas, if all words are his comrades, then the language of Aquinas is no better or worse than the language of rogues. This imagined grifter cockle picker um, baud pimp that he's concocted, mm-hmm. you know, speaking this, this rogue's language. So it doesn't matter if the words originate on the lips of monks with their Mary beads on their girdles. So Mary beads are rosaries, which, uh, mm-hmm. a rosary is, a, it's a, it's a big circle of beads that Catholics used to pray, but it definitely, the, the symbol here is it's conferring some holiness or if it comes from the mouths of rogues with God knows what rattling around in their pockets. I'm not sure what the, the tough nuggets pattering in their pockets are, but certainly something very sinful. Mm-hmm. So he's he's kind of drawing this this parallel between monk words and rogue words. Normally, culturally, we put one much higher than the other. Right, you're talking about the greatness of Aquinas, but who was the greatest rogue of his era? We don't know. That's, that's the point, right? uh uh-huh. Because those are our low lives and we, you know, we don't remember them. Then Aquinas' words should not be so elevated above the cant of thieves, because a poet must have all words at his disposal to describe what he sees. Because if he sees these two people on the beach that he in his mind have in a protean fashion shifted into these creatures of Dublin's underbelly then he, he would use the rogue words to describe them. Maybe the, the monk words would not suit. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they would. Maybe that would be an interesting play with words is to elevate them while describing uh, Aquinas with uh, as a dimber whopping dell. I, I don't know. <laughs> but they deserve equal sampling at this linguistic banquet. Hmm. So that's my closing thought from a, an episode that started out with a, a content warning about me saying swear words and sex words and then uh words about or caution against an ethnic slur is that Stephen feels that as as a a, a man of letters and words that you know there there shouldn't be anything off limit to him mm-hmm. what's on what's on your mind well
1: just that it certainly seems that Joyce structured a good chunk of this around a very obscure canting dictionary <laughs> sure. as a way to punish his readers and to force them to get on the tram and spend seven shillings or whatever the hell it was mm-hmm. to go to the, a library and to ask the librarian that they have dictionaries of or books that might contain mm-hmm. the word mort. And then and the, the librarian
0: uh, has to stand there politely while you read this whole like seven paragraph title for this yes, 400 yeah. year old book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, no, we have a whole section of the library dedicated to Joyce and headbangers. And you can all go over <laughs> there because we don't have Google yet. And uh, bear that in mind. You know, like t- t- today, you just type a hint to Google and you'll find it in three seconds. Yeah, that's how I seconds. Found it. But like 1920, whatever, you had to ha- go on a mm. tram and spend money and spend the whole day in a freaking library just to unpack one paragraph. He's a cruel man.
0: <laughs> See, I'm telling you, man, produce fatigue.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: I, the first time I read, I think I've told this before. The first time I read Proteus, I I sat in Ar- Arbor Ar- Arbor Lodge Coffee House in North Portland, and I read I read it start to finish, and I looked up, and I just took it, opened back up to the first page of Proteus, and started reading it again. Because yeah. I I didn't I didn't understand most of it. Yeah. I really didn't understand most of it, like to the point I I don't know that I I understood any of it. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, it's 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 nearly a foreign language, and and much of it is. Yeah. Though I will not say, since I I've given my myself a, a an F word pass for this episode. This is not the part of the book where I I I close the book and said out loud, "Fuck you, James Joyce." <laughs> 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 so stay stay tuned with Blooms and Barnacles to find out where that is. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> It's probably not the section you're thinking of. Yeah. Or any given <laughs> paragraph
1: of Finnegan's Awake. like, oh. Jesus, I, what the
0: hell? I read the first three lines of Finnegan's Awake. It's up, but no. Oh, no, I, I can't. Yeah. But I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it someday. All right. Um, all right. So is is that is that our, our closing thought? Fuck you, James. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> do, do you... But... Maybe we could look at it in a different way. Let's 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 polish this up a little bit. Is yes, this is impenetrable nonsense if you don't have the right books at your disposal. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine reading this pre-Google mm-hmm. and so many annotations just say these are Gypsy words, which is really unsatisfying. That doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't give you any kind of context. And that end part with the Thomas Aquinas, you just you'll get like a a definition of who Thomas Aquinas is, and mm-hmm. um, again,
1: that doesn't help.
0: Yeah, it doesn't really. So mm. um, this is definitely the the fruits of my own labor. But I would say having had the opportunity in the age of Google. Uh, who should be paying us at this point? Because we're really uh, advertising for them in this episode. Or,
1: you can duck, duck, go at if you prefer. To <laughs> yeah, you can bing it a uh, you, can,
0: you can bing a wasp to bing.
1: Oh, bing is worse.
0: <laughs> but don't don't. Did you find some enjoyment though in learning what all this this means?
1: Yeah, it's like a puzzle, getting mm-hmm. pulling the whole thing apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed um, writing this blog post last year when I was working on it. Like, this was one of my favorite ones I wrote for mm-hmm. all of Proteus because it was fun yeah. and because there's dirty words and sex words and uh, there's rude words. Mm-hmm. And the, the sources on it are, are honestly really fun to read. And you can easily find the full text of Richard Head's The Canting Academy. And uh, you should read, you don't need to read the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, ah, we're all at home now anyway. What are you doing? But you should you should go through and read especially the the end part of it is just definitions for all his terms of these different sort of uh, um scumbags that lived in London and they're all they're all kind of funny. Yeah. Cuz they all sound like they're they're really warning you but I think because it's removed by time you're kind of like all right. That's, that's it's fun. Or just the way it's it's phrased is is, is entertaining I find. Yeah if you have a little bit of a dark sense of humor i suppose there's if you're very sensitive to the thought of a, a widow going town to town and grift a fake widow going town to town and grifting people you can <laughs> find the darkness in that but i i was i i like imagining all the, the thieves and bad people That's fun for me
1: i remember reading a uh, dictionary of the vulgar tongue one of these not, I, there may be more than one of these books and uh one of the phrases was Irish ankles Mm -hmm. and the definition was Irish women have a special dispensation from the Pope to wear the thick ends of their legs at their ankles rather than their thighs.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) In other words, their legs are just
1: like Gumby or something like what the hell? All right.
0: All right. So are we, are we ending on, on that? Yeah. All right. Uh, Our, our ending note is that, uh, check out our episode notes, which you can find at bloomsandbarnacles.com and, uh, Check that link to the uh, the canting dictionary because it, it'll, it'll be a fun way to spend, you know, 30 minutes or so of your afternoon. Yeah. All right. Until then, we will see you in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts. You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice This helps more people find our show. And three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at barnaclecast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's blooms, barnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.